Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. The topic that I felt the Lord kind of lay on my heart today was to talk about personal drift. Um, I know pastor this morning, it was, it was kind of cool because he, um, he, he reached out to me like he told you earlier this week and, uh, you know, was just like, hey, be praying about Sunday, whatever. And I felt like God was already dealing with me with, with something. I just didn't know, you know, if it was a message to, to preach or to, you know, if it was just for me. But one of the things that was on pastor's heart was to talk about drifting. And that God spoke to me about that. I'll tell you the story in just a little bit. Um, so today I want to talk about personal drift. Uh, you can stand if you want. We're just going to go to the word of the Lord real quick. Um, I just have two verses I want to read. And I was joking with a couple people earlier that uh, I, you'll never believe me when I tell you this. But the scriptures that I have today are not in the King James Version. <laughs> I know, and I, I, I don't know. We'll talk about that later. But um, So today I want to go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And I'm going to read it in the Amplified version. Thank you so much for being able to grab that in the Amplified, Seth. And Nate, thank you guys so much for all you do. Yeah, give them a hand. The Our media team, these guys are on it. Like I tell you for real, they are on it. Thank you guys so much. So Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Follow along if you could. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad and easy to travel is the path that leads the way to destruction and eternal loss. This is one of the reasons why I really like the King, or the, uh, I'm sorry, the Amplified, because everything is literally amplified, right? Like it just gives you more context, more background. It's, it's awesome. Um, so eternal loss, that's where we ended. And there are many who enter through it. And then verse 14 but small is the gate and narrow and difficult to travel is the path that leads the way to everlasting life. And there are few who find it. I know this scripture, we've, we've heard it many, many times. I, I, again, I just wanna apply it to this idea of personal drift. So let's all bow our heads real quick and pray one more time that the Lord would just have his way today. Father, we thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you're going to do, Jesus. We put our faith and our trust in you today. Lord, we mix our faith with our action and we pursue you today. Jesus, I know we've already invited your presence here and we feel you. God, we, we, we have, we're having an experience with you today, Jesus. I just pray that you would do what you have come here to do, that your will will be done and be accomplished here in every person's life. I pray that you would open our hearts and our minds to receive your word and help us to digest it, God. And I pray also that you would speak to each person individually, God. If there's any individual needs or any, any guidance that somebody needs, I pray that you would speak to every person on an individual basis, Jesus. We love you so much, God. We worship you. We praise your name. Let your word go forth as a living word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can all be seated. I, I, I tell you this a little jokingly, is that I don't feel super preachy today, but who knows? You know, who knows? Especially, especially with my track record. Um, so, so today, 
there are a couple points that I want to hit, okay? First off, when we talk about this idea of, of drift, what is drift? I want to answer that question first. And then we're also going to talk about how to reduce spiritual drift in our own life, okay? And then lastly, I want to talk about how God helps us while we walk the path that he has called us to walk. So what is drift? How do we reduce it? And what is, what is God's role in our life? I know that's, that's a big question. I just want to tackle a piece of it today. So like I mentioned, um, God was dealing with me about, uh, it was a Tuesday, I think. Um, I was in a seminar. I won't bore you with details because I'm an absolute nerd, okay? And this was a really nerdy way that God talked to me. And he does that. You know, aren't you thankful that God really, like, understands us and knows how to relate to us and, like, really knows how to talk to us and get a point across? I, I, that is so invaluable because there are many times, and we talk about it as ministers, as preachers of the gospel, that we have this whole room full of people with, you know, countless different combinations of personalities and people understand things on a different level. And it's very difficult to relate to every single person while you're delivering a message. But God does it in such a way that he doesn't, it's kind of like a parent, you don't talk to your kids the same way. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you know your kids' personality, you relate to them. That's how God does us. And I'm so thankful for that. So I was sitting in, um, in an investment seminar. Uh, <laughs> I know, very nerdy. Um, but we were talking about portfolios, and there's this idea, um, this, it, 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 it's called drift within um, when you're talking about investment portfolios. I'm not going to get really deep into this. I just want to give you the backstory, okay? So there's an idea that if you have a portfolio that's balanced, and we're going to just say 50% stock, 50% bond, you don't even have to know what that means, okay? But if you have a balanced portfolio, if you never rebalance that portfolio in five years, it will drift. And at that point, it becomes a detriment to the long-term plan. Okay? I thought that that's an interesting idea because it's, it's the market changes in value, the stocks change in value, the bonds change in value, the, the economy changes. And what happens is this, this portfolio, if you never take time to sit down and monitor it and really and rebalance it and sell what's not doing well, buy things that are doing well, if you never do that, it will actually, it, it will be a detriment to your long-term goals. And I was sitting there thinking, I'm like, wow, that's, that's kind of an interesting concept. And I felt the Lord really talk to me and say, that's what happens in the spirit if we're walking this path and we never take time for personal devotion, if we don't pray, if we don't read our Bible, if we don't take time to reevaluate what really matters, we tend to drift off the path that God has put us on, right? So that's what I want to deal with today. So when we're talking about drift, uh, first off, what is drift, right? Like I, I mentioned an investment term a little bit, um, but I wanted to kind of use, because if you're going to steal something, steal the good stuff, right? Pastor had an amazing illustration today. So I literally went and grabbed my laptop and changed the illustration I had to match what he said because it was awesome. So, so <laughs> if you're going to steal stuff, steal the good stuff. Um, so uh, when we're talking about drift, I wanted to give you kind of a, a tangible example, not just sit up here and talk about a portfolio, okay? So, <laughs> um, but Pastor was talking about how doctrine does not drift right? Doctrine is doctrine. Truth is truth. We understand this, right? But what can drift is flesh and our humans. We can drift. So today when we're talking about personal drift, I want you to understand that the truth of the word of God does not change. 
What happens is we change if we don't take time to rebalance and to regain our footing and, and take time in his word and to be with him. We're the ones that change, not his word, okay? So the, the example that I wanted to give you is think about, uh, I, as I was sitting in spirit life class, I was thinking about a, a boat, right, sailing. Who, who's ever been on a boat, okay? All right. I knew some people weren't, but okay, please bear with me, okay? Um, but I was thinking about this um, being on a boat, and it's got to be insanely difficult to stay on course when you're out on the open sea, okay? Like, I think about the waves, the wind, like if you don't account for storms, like whatever. You know, it was one of the biggest, um, before like GPS and navigational system, when, when uh, I'm, I'm thinking about like Columbus era, right, when when people were sailing across the sea, one of the biggest detriments to that was like weather, okay? Storms, getting caught in a storm in really windy seas and then going off course, not knowing where you're at, not knowing how to get back and then ultimately being shipwrecked or, or just being stuck, stranded, right? So I was thinking about that this morning in Spirit Life class and it's gotta be insanely difficult to stay on course if you don't know what you're doing, right? <laughs> right? Like. Like, I, I think of all the training, like, uh, a captain goes through, all the life experience that a captain of a vessel goes through. I also think about, like, pilots, right, when they're piloting airplanes. But for the sake of this illustration, let's stick to boats. Now, I'm at, I know that there's, um, that there's a lot of, of, of training and a lot of knowledge that goes into piloting a boat. I'm thinking on the open sea, okay? So close your eyes and imagine with me. A large boat on the open waters. Waves are a little choppy, okay? Um, and, and I think about the steering of the vessel and, and having to chart out a course and being able to stay on that course while the wind is pounding again. Because, you know, when you're on the ocean, nothing stops the wind, right? Like here, we got trees and buildings on stuff. But when you're on the ocean and the wind starts whipping, I imagine that's just insane, right? But you're trying to pilot this, this boat and get it from point A to point B, and in the middle of it, wind, choppy weather, uh, uh, choppy seas, um, and then maybe, maybe a storm or two is on the way. I got to imagine that's difficult to stay on course when that's happening. But you know, the, uh, a, a captain, there's, there's this, uh, this saying that I, sorry, I think I walked too close to that one. Um, there's a... Uh, uh, a term that I really, really like, it's called uh, micro-operations. And it's the little tiny things that seem really insignificant that we do to keep us like on track. Okay, switch gears, just to get you to understand this a little bit. Think about when you're driving a car. If you just like let go of the steering wheel, don't matter how aligned your steering is, you're gonna go off the road, right? But now think about it when you're driving, those little adjustments you're making the whole time that now we don't even think about it because we've been driving, you know, people have been driving for so long, it's almost automatic. That's what I mean about these micro-corrections, right? So think about on, uh, when, you're, when you're in the middle of something, you're sailing a ship on the open seas, you got wind hitting you, you got all this stuff. And the captain, I imagine that he has done this so many times, hopefully, right? Like I wouldn't want to be on a, on a ship with somebody who's done it once and we're going into a storm. But, I mean, hopefully this guy or gal has a, a bunch of experience to almost have those micro-corrections ingrained into them so that while they're steering, 
Now, this is how my brain works. When, when I'm thinking about this boat, I just imagine a captain, like, steering this big, like, wheel, you know, like in pirate movies and stuff. Um, but, but I imagine, right, like, all these little corrections that have to be done in order to keep us on track. And sometimes, um, Pastor, we were talking about this beforehand, but sometimes, like, when you look at a GPS, you know, and he was telling me about something with sailing. Of course, I can't remember it. Um, but when you're looking at a GPS, you know, you have the, the line, the, the course, and sometimes you deviate a little bit, right? Right, but, but we're, keep, we're staying on track, okay? But these, these micro-corrections, I often think about them in our life, too. I mean, how many, when we're talking about staying on course, I don't want to jump ahead a little bit. I don't want to jump ahead, so I need to get back on my notes. So I apologize. But these micro-corrections in steering, the, um, the uh, gauging of the wind, the understanding of how storms work and how to navigate through a storm, that's what gets you from point A to point B when you're sailing. And even just missing a small micro-correction or misgauging the weather, misgauging how, how the wind is whipping against the vessel can cause a ship to move off course, even if it's just a small amount. Right? You think about this in terms of, of, of the course, right? If you're off by one degree when you start, you're never going to get where you, where you intended to get to if you stay that course of being off one degree. So I think about this as we apply it to our life. This is, this is really drift, but think about it in this way, that our life is the vessel. We're ultimately the captain. I use air quotes on purpose because we've get really given our lives to Jesus. But we're the captain, and, and Jesus is the way. We've been talking, that's been just a reoccurring theme the past couple weeks. But Jesus is the way. He's the path that we're walking and the ultimate end destination. So apply this to our lives. If we're not taking time to take stock, rebounds, reevaluate our priorities, if we're not praying, if we're not reading our Bible, if we're just missing some of those things that seem maybe small at times, those things that, that maybe aren't the most fun to do, but if we're not doing those things, it's very easy to get off course. And it gets to a point where we're, we think we're walking down the path and we, all, we look up and say, you know, I don't even know where I'm going anymore. I, I, I don't even know where the path is. So that's what happens in our life when we're talking about personal drift. Again, Scripture doesn't change, but we do. Let's look at, a, let's look at what the Bible says about this. So Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, again in the Amplified Version. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. For this reason, that is God's final revelation in His Son Jesus, and because of Jesus' superiority to the angels, that's in there because... Wait, I don't think it's in there. Is that, am I, do I have the wrong Scripture pulled up? Ah, maybe I have the wrong one. I can't remember what it is. Hebrews 2.1. I thought it was Hebrews 2.1. That's all right. Just follow along with me. So for this reason, and the reason it's referring to the previous chapter, we must pay closer attention than ever to the things that we have heard so that we do not in any way drift away from the truth. I think King James actually says that we don't slip away from the truth. That we don't slip from the truth. So the word slip, in King, does anybody have that scripture pulled up maybe just so I know which one I'm in? Is it right? Hebrews 2 and 1? Okay, it is Hebrews 2 and 1. All right. Um, so the word drift in King James is actually slip. So in Amplified it says drift, but in King James it says slip. And it literally means in the Greek to carelessly pass by. So this is talking about 
just overlooking the things, the things that seem insignificant. Overlooking the things that seem a little small and carelessly passing by on them. So we must intentionally, we must be intentional about our walk with God. That's really what it boils down to. We have to be intentional about following the truth that is in the word of God. We have to be intentional about our walk and not drifting away from the truth. Because even just slipping in one seemingly insignificant area can totally wreck our walk with God down the road. So here's the problem is, is that we're flesh. Since we live in flesh and we live in a world of flesh, we're naturally poured towards the flesh and not towards God. That's why it takes an intentional walk with God. We have to be intentional about going and being closer to him because our flesh feels the opposite way. Our flesh pulls us towards the world. Our flesh pulls us away from God. So we have to do those things like personal devotion. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But prayer, Bible reading, fasting, we have to do those things because our flesh is pulling us away from God and those things are pulling us toward God. So the problem is that we're flesh. And this is what Jeremiah 17 has to say about this. I'm going to read verses 5 through 11. So let's book through it, okay? Um, this is also in the Amplified. Let's see. Yes, okay, this is right. So... Thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in and relies on mankind, making weak, faulty uh, human flesh his strength, and whose mind and heart turn away from the Lord. Verse 6, for he will be like a shrub in the parched desert and shall not see prosperity when it comes. Wow. Not, not even seeing prosperity when it comes. But shall live in the rocky places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. Man, that's what scripture says it's like living after the flesh. That you don't even see prosperity when it comes. That it's like being alone, being by yourself in the desert, in the rocks, in the hills. Nothing can grow there. Nothing can, uh, can prosper and flourish there. That's what scripture says it's like living after the flesh. That ain't a way I want to live. Then verse 7 says this, uh, blessed, and then in brackets, with spiritual security is the man who believes and trusts in and relies on the Lord and whose hope and confident expectation is the Lord. Verse 8, for he will be nourished like a tree planted by the waters that spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear the heat when it comes, but its leaves will be green and moist and it, uh, and it will not be anxious and concerned in a year of drought nor stop bearing fruit. Even when things get hard, still bearing fruit. Not being afraid of the drought because we're nourished from above, not from this earth. Verse 9, this is really the point I wanted to get to, but I thought that that comparison of what it's like or that, that you know, uh, the opposite, living in the flesh and the spirit, I thought that was pretty cool, so I wanted to give that to you. And then verse 9, this is the problem that I was talking about, our flesh. Verse 9 says, the heart is deceitful above all things, and it is, in the Amplified, it says, extremely sick. Who can understand it fully and know its secret motives? And then verse 10 I, the Lord, search and examine the mind. Thank God. I, I, speaking, this is the Lord speaking, test the heart to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. And then verse 11, like the partridge that hatches eggs, 
which she has not laid, so is he who makes a fortune in ways that are unjust. It will be lost to him before his days are over, and in the end, he will be nothing but a fool. Man, I really, really enjoy the book of Jeremiah <laughs> because it is so passionate. And you can tell just, uh, uh, I, this is a word from the Lord to Jeremiah, but the way Jeremiah pins it and writes it down, it, there's so much emotion, there's so much, it's so passionately charged that we get this amazing word picture, right, of the two sides of humanity, the spirit and the flesh, right? And we get a word picture on what it's like to live after the flesh, and we get a word picture on what it's like to live after the spirit. But verse 9 talks about our flesh and specifically our heart, that our heart is deceitful and wicked, Sister Carla and I, we were talking about just earlier, uh, just right before church, we were talking about our feelings, how we can't trust our feelings because they will lie to us. Our heart is deceitful and wicked. So our emotions, our feelings, we have to base our walk with God on trust and faith and knowing Him and knowing that He is faithful and knowing that He is just and that He'll take care of us. See, even... Uh, even David talked about in verse 10 that the Lord searches and examines the mind and tests the heart. David talks about this. I didn't grab the scripture, but he, he even asked the Lord, test my thoughts. Try, try my thoughts. Test my heart. Like, know me. Know, because scripture says here that we can't even know our own heart. Right? But the Lord searches our heart. He tries our thoughts. He tries our intentions to make sure that we're in the right place. And I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you, but that's something that I pray every day is, Lord, search my heart. Like, try my thoughts and know me. So our wicked heart tries to pull us off the path that we're walking towards Jesus Christ. But blessed is the one who trusts in God and remains on the path. Because Jeremiah says it's like a tree planted by the water who even, who doesn't, who's not afraid of the drought, who even bears fruit in the drought. So let's apply that, that uh, example like we did earlier to our life just for a purpose of reiterating and make sure I get this point across. Our ship is our life. We're the captain. We chart a course toward Jesus Christ, toward eternity, towards eternal life with him in heaven. The troubles of life are like the storms and the choppy sea and the wind that pound onto the side of the vessel over and over again. The, the emotions that we have when people hurt us, the, the you know, hard financial difficulties, whatever it is, that's constantly pounding. That's like the waves in the storm, constantly pounding on the side of that vessel. And if we are not careful, those things can drive us off the course. We have to be like the captain who has been here before and can see the end in mind and keep the end in mind so that when those things do happen, we don't get caught up in, oh man, look at this storm. How am I going to get through this? But we can look forward and say, you know what? I already anticipated this storm. I knew it, was, it wasn't going to be easy, but I know where I'm going. Right? I know where I'm going. I know where I'm headed. I'm headed to Jesus Christ. I'm headed to heaven. I'm, and I'm going to take as, as many people as I can with me, but I know where I'm going. And just knowing that, just having, keeping that in mind will keep us on the course as long as we keep our focus on Jesus. That will keep us on the course. So, all right, I hope I didn't beat that point to, to death. But knowing that drift is possible because we're flesh, Scripture says, 
to hold on to the truth because we can drift. But knowing that, how then do we reduce the amount of spiritual drift in our life? I probably already answered this. Does somebody want to take a stab at it? Sorry, that's my spirit life culture coming out. I was, that wasn't a rhetorical question, but it's okay, we'll move on. <laughs> the way we reduce spiritual drift in our life, I call it rebalancing because I'm a financial advisor and that's what we do in the investment world. But I call it rebalancing. That's how we reduce the amount of drift in our life, in our spiritual life. So going back, um, uh, sorry, I already said that. So we evaluate. We need to take time to evaluate our life. We need to take time. How many, show of hands, and I'm honest about this. Who has a time of reflection every day? More people than I thought. That's pretty good. Reflection is so important in our walk with God because that is a moment where we can truly pray, Lord, search me, search my heart, and we can look past our day, we can look past our week, we can look past our month, whatever, and we can see patterns, right, that we do. Because humans, we're all wired into patterns. We are. We see patterns in everything. We do everything. You know, people say we're creatures of habit. That's for real. I mean, we're pattern-driven. But those times of reflection... Give us an opportunity to look at our life and examine our priorities, what's really important to us. And again, when we couple that with prayer and really ask God to search us, those moments are invaluable. Because in those moments, God will reveal things in our heart that we didn't even know were there. Right? I, I've oftentimes prayed, Lord, convict me if I'm doing something wrong. You know, and, and God truly will search our heart. And he'll show us places that we can improve or he'll reaffirm the things that we're doing well if we take time to reflect. But a lot of times as humans, we're just go, go, go all the time. I know that's not the same with every culture. It's more so an American thing or a developed world thing. But we, we're just constantly on the move and never take time to truly reevaluate where we're at. Is this okay? I know I'm not like preachy. All right, cool. I got one person on board. Um, anyways, taking time to rebalance is so important. And it's not just that reflection, but when I talk about rebalance, I mean personal devotion. I mean, are, are we praying? Honestly, I, I, ask myself all that, I ask myself that all the time. Am I praying enough? Am I reading the Bible enough? Am I studying enough? Am I fasting enough? Like, am I doing the things I need to do to keep me on the path? Because just like the example earlier, if even just one of those things start to slip, if we're off by one degree, we'll be off by much more than one degree down the road. And I don't want to be there, right? I hope nobody does. So daily devotion, I'm talking about prayer, I'm talking about Bible reading, I'm talking about fasting. Um, these things move us toward God and diminish our flesh. They do. So James chapter 4, verse 7 through 8, this is New King James Version, so not amplified. Therefore, submit to God, period. Submit to God. I like how there's an end of a sentence right in the middle of a verse. Isn't that interesting? Because it shows submit to God, period. That's the end of it. Just submit to God, right? And then it goes on to say, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And then verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I love that part of this verse. Cleanse your hearts, ye sinners, and purify your, or cleanse your hands and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. I really like this verse in particular, verse 8, 
because it shows that we need to have a desire to draw near to God and then he'll draw near to us. And that, again, it reminds us we're still sinners, right? So we still got to cleanse our hands. We still got to purify our hearts. We still got to take time to reevaluate and rebalance our lives. But drawing near to God is essential. And our daily devotion draws us closer to God. That's the end of it. it. That's what it does. It draws us closer to God. It brings us into communion with him, right? One thing that the Lord had really been talking to me about recently is intimacy with him, right? Intimacy. I know when we had our first prayer night, Brother Roy, you were there. We were talking about, and Sister Leah, we, were, we, we talked about intimacy a little bit, right? And just, just being close with God. I think that's something... We don't talk about a whole lot. We talk about praying and, and being in communion with God. But, but truly, God wants a relationship with us, right? Um, Brother Dean and I were talking about this too. Sorry, I, I don't mean to point everybody out. I just, I feel like these are meaningful conversations, okay? So I, I just want to make you aware of them. But Brother Dean and I were talking about this too, just having, really having a relationship with God. He was telling me about this book, um, and I'm probably going to butcher it, okay? So you can tell me what, you know, if it was okay afterwards, all right? But he was telling me about this book um, that I believe it was a monk, right? A monk, is that right? Monk, it was a monk, okay. Just wanna make sure I heard you right. Um, uh, about truly having a relationship, right? And I remember also reading a book too called Two Chairs. Has anybody read that one, maybe? Two, twin Chair, Two Chairs, I can't remember the title of it. Two Chairs? But truly having a relationship with God, not just a monologue with God. So I'll, I've been guilty of that, sitting down for 30 minutes and just, you know, all my words and just talking to God for talking at God for 30 minutes. But truly having time, having a relationship with him, being intimate with him, asking him questions. Who asks God questions and waits for an answer? Like literally just sits and, and is silent and just waits for an answer. So I remember my little brother talking about this too. Um, he, he, if you've been in Spirit Life class, you've heard this before. But my little brother talked about this idea of intimacy. Uh, and he said he had made a commitment to just pray for an hour a day. That, that he was just going to do it. So he'd been doing that for a couple weeks. And it, he had a, a, an hour go by that he just felt like his prayers bounced off the ceiling and right back to him. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it just, it, he didn't feel anything, didn't, you know... It, there was no, like, God kicking down the door and doing, you know, it was just one of those prayer meetings. And he said he got up, his hour was done, and God spoke to him and said, how about you just invite me into your room? And, and he was like, okay, sure. So he did it. And he said that when he did that, it felt like, and he was sitting on the edge of his bed, he said it felt like God opened the door to his bedroom, came in and walk, walked beside him and sat down right beside him. And he stayed there for another hour having a conversation with God. Not praying at God, having a conversation with God. There is a big difference because that's the difference between just prayer time and then intimacy with God. That is the difference, right? So when we're talking about personal devotion and how that keeps us from drifting, being intimate with God in our prayer life is so, so important. I heard a quote from T.F. Tenney. And he said, I rarely pray for more than a half an hour, but I rarely go more than a half an hour without praying. I was like, man, what a way to include God in the, the whole day. Not just having, okay, God, here's your hour, right? But Lord, have my day, 
Isn't that, that's just amazing. So prayer, Bible reading, and fasting, they rebalance our priorities. They reveal places in our lives where we can make improvements, and they keep our ultimate focus on eternity. Those things put God first and everything else second. Personal devotion. So the path ultimately leads us, uh, the path that Jesus has laid out ultimately leads us to a fulfilled life and an eternity with Jesus. We cannot afford to drift from the path. I have realized that more in the past month that we do not have time to play around, get on and off the path. We don't have time to play that game. I'm convinced that the Lord is coming back soon. And if you don't hear anything else that I have to say today, hear this. We do not have time to play games with God. We do not have time to get on and off the path. We don't have time to try and walk with one foot on, one foot off. We don't have time for that. Jesus is coming back soon, people. I'm convinced of that more in the past month than I have been my life. And I, I'm like you. I grew up, uh, those of us that have grown up in church, I, I grew up in church and I remember preachers talking about the Lord's coming soon, Lord's coming soon. You know, and I remember my mom telling me that when the time she was a kid, her entire life, preachers have been saying that over and over and over again. But it's true. God is coming back so soon. And I don't want him to come back when I'm not on the path. I don't want him to come back when I've drifted. We have to be ready and stay ready. Brother Woodward's been talking about it in our Spirit Life class. Thank you so much, Brother Rob, for showing those videos. We've been going through an end times uh, series that Brother Woodward did. And man, man like, I, I'm serious. That, that's the kind of stuff. And, you know, he, he wasn't really talking about, like, the end time prophecy and all that stuff. His main goal was to talk about the rapture, that it's happening soon. You know, and just watching those things, I feel such an urgency in my spirit. I feel such an urgency. So um, getting, back to, getting back to this. So devotion, daily devotion to God is what helps us reduce spiritual drift in our life, personal drift in our life. But it's so many times through Scripture, God talks about how much he helps us on a day-to-day -day basis. When we have our focus on him, when we're living a life of personal devotion to him, he really guides our path. He directs us. I have a couple of scriptures I wanted to read about this. John 14, 5 through 6 in the New King James. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, and how can we know the way? That was Thomas's question to Jesus. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Again, I thought it was interesting. I don't know. I noticed weird things. But in the scripture that, again, a sentence ends right in the middle of the scripture. That doesn't happen too often in the Bible. But when Jesus declares, I am the way, the truth, and the life, period. Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven, period. He is the only path to walk. Period. There aren't multiple paths to get to heaven. It is Jesus or it is nothing. Period. So Jesus is the path that we walk. He's the one who sustains us. He keeps us and he leads us. 
So the path spoken about in the opening text when it's talking about wide is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to everlasting. That path is talking about Jesus Christ. I find it, uh, it, it, when you apply it that way and you look at the scripture and you say, few there are that find it, man, we got a lot of work to do as a church, honestly. There are a lot of people, scripture says, few there are that find it, speaking of the path of Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but that when pastors talking about getting open doors to witness to people, so important. It is so important. So the path is one of sacrifice and self-denial. I'm getting very close to the end, okay? Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. This, this is a path. Uh, in the Amplified Version, the opening text actually says that this is a narrow and difficult to travel path because it goes against our flesh. It goes against what we want to do. It makes us uncomfortable, right? But ultimately, if we stay on that path, God blesses us. Like in Jeremiah, we're like a tree planted by the waters. So Jesus said, pick up your cross and follow me. It's very easy to drift from this path if we do not have personal devotion. But if we keep our focus on him, I want to just give you a few promises that God gave in Scripture. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. This was like one of the first scriptures aside from Acts 2.38 that I memorized. Trust in the Lord. I'm reading it in New King James Version. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. That he will, he's our guidance system while we're on this path. He's the GPS, if you will, right? He shows us where we're going and he shows us how to get there. That when we keep our focus on him, when we trust in him with all of our heart, he'll make, he'll keep, he'll make those paths straight. He will keep us on the path. Psalm chapter 37, there's actually a lot in Psalms that talk about this. But Psalm chapter 37, verses 23 and 24, New King James again, says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he, speaking of God, delights in his way. The, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And God takes delight in that. And then it says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Man, the powerful hand of God holding up those who walk the path. Psalm chapter 121, verse 3, also New King James. He will not allow your foot to be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. I thought that, that I had some confirmation in my spirit with that, uh, with that specific verse because pastor, while he was praying or uh, encouraging people, I can't remember which one, but he said that today, that God does not slumber. God doesn't take vacations. God watches over us at all times. I thought it was very funny how um, Elijah points that out in Mount Carmel when he's talking to the prophets of Baal and he kind of mocks them a little bit. Those of you that know this uh, event, I, I find it funny. But they're trying to, you know, the, the whole uh, contest, if you will, was the God who answers by fire, that is the one true God. Prophets of Baal cried and cut themselves and whatever all day long. And Elijah finally starts poking fun at him a little bit. He said, oh, what's wrong? Is your God on vacation? Is he sleeping? Well, why ain't he answering? But the God that we serve doesn't do that. 
that He's here all the time. He chooses when we walk the path, He walks beside us. He walks with us. He is in us. He is all around us. So amazing. Our God does not slumber. So the Lord provides for us while we're on the path. And he, even though he allows us to walk through difficult moments at times, he never leaves us alone. I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When they're thrown into the fire, Nebuchadnezzar looked in and saw four of them. And, and the fourth one looked like the Son of God. That's, that is how God sustains us while we're on the path. We go through difficult times. And I don't want to discount any struggle that anybody has gone through. I just want to encourage you that you're not alone. That when you go through that storm, God is there. That when you go through the fire, God is there. That it doesn't matter if it's a financial difficulty, God is there. It doesn't matter if it's a health problem, God is there all the time. He's the one who sustains us on the path. So if we could all stand, I want to bring this to a close. So what we talked about today is spiritual or personal drift. Please excuse me. We talked about what drift is. It's drifting off, off the path, off the course that God has laid out for us. That course is Jesus Christ. It is to Jesus Christ. It is to eternity with him. So drifting will pull us away from that path. Number two, the only way to reduce drift in our lives personal drift is through daily devotion that's it being close and intimate with god that is the only thing that will keep us on the path and when we do that god supplies all of our needs god makes our path straight god doesn't allow our foot to slip and when we do fall scripture says that we won't be utterly destroyed but god will lift us up will raise us up with his hand So personal drift occurs when we overlook areas of personal devotion. It happens when, when we stop doing or we neglect the things that maybe look small or we don't want to do them today or whatever. Drift begins to happen in those moments. The moments that seem innocent enough. But it's those times that will cause us to drift. Daily devotion rebalances our priorities and keeps our focus on God and eternity. And when we focus on Him, He will guide us on this narrow path. We must be vigilant to make sure that we're not drifting because it's a slow process to drift. One day we look up and we can't find the path we were walking on. We don't even know where we were going. We don't even know where we came from. In the end times that we're living in, I alluded to this just a little bit, but in the end times that we're living in, we do not have time to play. We do not have time. I've heard preachers say, play patty cake with God, whatever you want to say. We just don't have time. Jesus is coming soon. And we must be ready. You know, in that, uh, can we all come to the front real quick? As we wrap up. Um, and we begin our, our altar call and our prayer time. Something Brother Woodward said really, really stuck with me. And he was talking about the, uh, the parable of the ten virgins. Right? You remember this one, Sister Angie. He was talking about the parable of the ten virgins. And five, Scripture says that five had enough oil and they were ready and whatever. The other five, they weren't ready. They didn't have enough oil for when the bridegroom was coming. But he said all of them fell asleep. And it, it, that really 
I don't know, that, that kind of hit me in a, in a particular way in my spirit. And he was saying that when Jesus comes, it'll be a time, and scripture talks about this, but it'll be a time that nobody is paying attention to it, that nobody expects it, that everybody's asleep. I don't want to be asleep when the rapture comes, when the rapture happens. I want to be ready. I want to be vigilant. I want to be, as scripture says, be of sober mind, be watching always. So today, I wonder if we could just close our eyes and lift our hands. If we could just take a moment to reflect and to pray, I mean sincerely pray, that God would search our hearts. Lord, search my heart. God, try my thoughts and know me. Lord, search out the intentions of my heart. Search out the intentions of my, my goals and where, where I want to go. And ultimately, Lord, we submit to you. God, we put our goals, what we want from life, we put that under what you want us to have. God, we put the things that we want to do underneath the things that you want to do. God, we worship you. Lord, I pray that, that you would just help us to keep personal devotion in mind. God, help us to have the strength every day to get up and continue to walk towards you. Because your scripture says that if we walk towards you, that you will walk toward us. If we draw nigh to you, as, as uh, scripture says, or if we get close to you, God, you will get close to us. Lord, I ask that you would just, that you would help us, Lord. We recognize that we're flesh and that we're, we can drift on and off the path. We recognize that because our flesh pulls us away from you, Lord. But today I pray that you would help us to overcome our flesh. Today, Lord, help us to make an intentional effort to get closer to you. God, we want intimacy with you and we know that's what you want with us. So Lord, as, as we take this personal time, I pray that you would speak to each person individually. Lord, we recognize that, that you're coming soon. And we, Lord, we don't wanna be caught off guard. We, we wanna be ready and stay ready. We wanna be ready every day because we recognize you could come before we finish this prayer. We recognize you could come before the day is over. We recognize you could come tomorrow or in a month or in 10 years. But Lord, we want to be ready as your church. We want to be the bride that is ready for the bridegroom, Lord. That when you decide to take us, we can meet you in heaven and we can be with you forever. God, help us stay on the path. I wonder if, uh, if we could just take a minute to just personally... First, personally, but just take a minute to consecrate ourselves to God, to renew a commitment, maybe to, to start a new commitment with God. Why don't we take a minute just personally and dedicate our life to him because he paid the ultimate price that we deserved, that we deserve to die on the cross the way he did. But he paid that price so that we could have eternal life and so that he can live inside of us and help us while we're here and then ultimately take us up to heaven to be with him forever. Let's take a minute to just dedicate ourselves to him. Thank you, Jesus.